Radio Mysterioso. Let's do a uh, the regular. Oh, I know the intro I want to do. I wanted to use the music that Long John Nebel used to use to open his show. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, because I heard it the other day, and it's called it's called Forbidden Planet. Is this on? Is this on? Is it on? Can you hear yourself? Uh, yeah. There it is. Okay, good, good. Okay. It's Radio Mysterioso. Yeah. Long John Neville radio show in the 1960s and 70s. This was the music that opened the show. on at the beginning. It's Radio Mysterioso here for October 13th of 2013 with our guests uh, Skylar Alfagren and Tim Brigham. Tim Brigham will be on, we'll bring on in a second because I have to disconnect the audio from this wonderful music by David Rose and his orchestra <clears throat> for you to be able to hear Tim. So let's do that right now. Anyway, yes, Long John would always come on with this music. I pro- I'm sure I've got a bunch of Long John. I know I've got a bunch of Long John recordings that have that in it. Let's uh, hook up Tim here. Oh, great. I have to take the cover off the phone. Us and our technology, as Skylar just said. <laughs> I didn't say you, uh, as in you people, but I meant, you know, I, I have no capability whatsoever with the technology. I use my phone as the poor man's uh, iPod, which doesn't work at all. But, and I still have CDs and audio cassettes. I have an entire entire wall of audio cassettes. No. But now I don't have an audio cassette player, which is really frustrating because I love the nostalgic aspect of those early audio cassettes. I've got a bunch of audio cassettes still. Some of my old shows are only recorded on on cassettes. Oh, that's fantastic. There, there's your um, uh, your official Ready Mysterioso siren out the window. <laughs> the siren. Uh, can I ask you about that? Is that is that an ongoing thing? Yeah, we're at uh, Vermont and Beverly, which is a very busy... Wow, it's here they go. <laughs> I thought I didn't know if it was a Letterman thing now, or you know, here comes the siren, folks, and you throw a card out a window, or if it's a real siren. Yeah, yeah, he would do that uh, once in a while. I, I remember he used to hang the microphone out the window too. <laughs> no, I, I just moved to Tahunga, and I've got a funny story about that. But it's uh, you have to be I'm, closer to the microphone, or oh, you're right. not loud. Okay, okay. Otherwise, um, it'll feed back. It'll, okay, feedback. Um, if, if I turn it up, it'll feedback. Okay. So you have to get closer. That's all. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I just moved to Tahunga from Echo Park, and uh, it's deadeningly silent there. And uh, Echo Park. You can hear your heartbeat. Yeah, and you you literally can. It's like crickets yeah. and coyotes, and it's like really kind of frightening. But um, I miss the police. <clears throat> the police helicopters over 
my apartment every single day. And the and the yeah, little... it's like that joke in my cousin Vinny when he's out in the middle of the country and he can't go to sleep, but when he's in the prison, he can go to sleep fine, right? Because he lives in New York. Yeah, no, it's true. It's true. It's like driving me kind of nuts. Hey, hey, can I ask you guys, am I supposed to be hearing you well right now or not? Uh, can you not? Not really. Okay, I well, let, let's doing uh, doing the in and out thing. I think okay. it's just I don't know if it's a projection of your voice or but your your is that a little is that a little but, better? Yeah, I can hear you. So I can hear us at all. All right, look, do you want to try now or did you? Here, let me. Uh, I'll put the micro. I put the phone even closer to the microphone. I mean, to the speaker here. Can you hear that? Here we go. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's much better. Yeah. Fantastic. Skyler, there. Hello. Hi there. Hi there, sir. How are you? I'm good. So what did I miss out in the last twenty minutes of thinking that we were still listening to Long John's introduction music? You missed. I'm trying you to find nothing. my notes. I'm still setting up. Here. I mean, well, okay, I'm well, set you, up. You, you, you missed, can tell because there's spaghetti you, everywhere. You, you missed, of, you missed uh, me running cables. out the door to, to smoke a quick cigarette because I forgot mine at my house and I was really desperate. That was the most uh, exciting part. And, like, 20 Mexicans with sleeping bags and suitcases. I, I shouldn't say, I mean, Hispanic Americans. I will have to edit if you don't talk closer to the microphone <laughs> because it, it will be, you will be way down here and everybody else will be really loud. Okay. Um, anyway. You can hold the microphone. That's what I do because oh, oh. then I don't have to. Uh, right, right. Oh, and I'll do an introduction better. here as soon as I can. Okay, that's much better. This is going to be edited, Tim. I Possibly. I hope so. Maybe. <laughs> Please. Possibly. Uh, so what, happened, what happened was a couple weeks ago, Skylar and Tim emailed me and said, hey, we're going to come on your show, okay? <laughs> and I, thought, and I had like, I, I, huh? I, I, I didn't actually uh, initiate the email, so I'm not sure I proofed it either. <laughs> but something along those lines. Yeah. It, it's a desperate attempt at human contact on my part. In, like, the strangest form possible. <laughs> well, hey, why not? Why not? Why, been, why, or why are you a shut-in now, Skyler? Uh, oh, um, because, oh, okay, well, here's here's the story about Tahanga. Like, I'll tell it quickly because I have many anecdotes in my addled brain. But um, I, I, oh, I, I, there was a point in the summer where I thought that I was going to be moving to two different states, possibly in the very near future. So I kind of put all my stuff in storage and kind of lived like a vagabond. And then both of those things kind of didn't happen, although one might, uh, because um, the whole FEMA Region 3 thing and the, the whole government shutdown really happening in martial law and all that stuff may really, really be happening, and I've got information on that for later. Um, so I might end up at the Llama Ranch anyway. Um, but, oh, Tahanga. So I was staying with a friend in Los Feliz for a few weeks, um, who is a big UFO nut, but, oh, well, uh, but he's like a shut-in himself, pot-smoking shut-in and whatever. And so I had to leave because if I'd stayed one more day, I uh, we would have gotten charged rent for me, and that, that was just not happening. And so I have a friend in... Laguna Beach, who has had four DUIs and is a, a male nurse and Ecuadorian, and I've known him since I was 17. And anyway, he's like, just come hang out with me for a while, right? And so I had a suitcase. I was at the literally at the train station, 8 o'clock at night, going to Laguna Beach, and uh, he didn't pick up his phone. And, and I told him, don't drive up here. If you've been drinking, uh, you'll go to prison. You literally will go to prison for that offense. Um, uh, in California. Pardon? No, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. That, <laughs> pardon. Um, it's hard to. Sorry, now that I see the delay, it's hard to, to chime in. But finish. are you listening on the on your computer? or Are you listening on the phone? I'm on my phone. Phone. Oh, okay. Well, there shouldn't be. I, I yeah. hope there's not much of a delay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. 
Okay, so anyway, I was literally at the train station with a suitcase packed and uh, my friend not answering, and I had no idea where I was going. And so I had earlier uh, thought about renting a room from this uh, lovely person all the way up in Tahunga, and I was like, that's ah, too far, it's too remote. Uh, the room's probably just like a tiny little wood paneled, like trailer park type deal. And uh, so I, I was like, out of desperation. Where's Tahunga, by the way? Tahanga is actually everyone. Everyone seems to think it's like out in the out in the boonies, like past like Magic Mountain lands and in Valencia and all that stuff. And I know you're not from Southern California, but it's literally like 20 minutes from Glendale. I mean, it's like a half hour from downtown Los Angeles or less. And um, but everybody in their mind, and my, myself included, thought it was like completely remote. And I'll tell you why right now. So I thought I was going to Laguna Beach. And Don't, um, Don, Ek- Don and Vicky Ecker live in Tahunga? They live very close, yeah. actually. Yeah, no, I, I know. It's really, it's really fantastic, actually. But um, uh, we haven't had dinner yet, but that's another story. But so I'm, I'm sitting there with my suitcase going, what the hell do I do? I can't just call up some friend and say, hey, let me crash at your house for maybe a few days or a week because that's just not not the thing to do it's not proper etiquette and so i called up this guy in tahanga i've known for like a billion years we both used to write for um fizz magazine and he's a big he used to write for punk rock scene called Flipside and yada 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 and so i called him up and i didn't know it was like so close to his bedtime i was like hey uh hey you still got that room for rent i didn't know if you had and um and he said yeah and so we were talking for like an hour and i was like yeah you know i'd really like to check it out yeah and, and spend the night and See if see if I, I like it and uh, he's like when I was like oh tonight <laughs> tonight I get there about midnight and uh, so I did and then I moved in from there and what was funny is I had one small suitcase I was going to Laguna Beach and in that suitcase I had packed and ruffles uh, 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 the Tunga Canyon contacts which oh, yes. which was literally the second book written about uh, contactees or from well, abductees <laughs> sorry I'm I. I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous, even though it's radio. It was, yeah, it was after, after Interrupted Journey and before uh, Missing Time. Yeah, so it was yes. ni- 1980 it first came out. and uh, But it was just a very ironic to me that I ended up in Tahanga with this book about it being a major UFO hotspot uh, uh, and, um, I mean, literally, it's, it's still not very built up. I mean... It's surrounded by uh, hills, foothills on three sides, and uh, you, it's. It's. Uh, I'm still waiting to see something, besides coyotes. That's what I thought about Topanga. Oh, well. Did you know that that, that well, big Topanga flap thing happened basically the month after I moved out? Nothing oh. the whole time I was there. Oh no, bitterness, Greg. No bitterness. <laughs> you just weren't looking hard enough. Yeah. Well, I saw plenty at uh, at a party once, but that was assisted. <laughs> mm. By LSD. Hey, can I ask a question of uh, just generally speaking, you guys? Where in real life? I was listening to the show with Chris. O- was it Chris O'Brien? The guy was talking about the Calmulation book he came out with. Uh, is he's, that, is he is writing it. He is writing it now. Even you guys are in, honestly. So, other than Gus Gunn or whatever that was, guy was. Tim, you're mumbling. Is, uh, that where there's any mutilation stuff, or as he like to call it, an unidentified animal deaths or something? Where uh, is t- that stuff? And really, is that more in far southwest I don't exactly understand exactly everything you said Chris O'Brien is writing a book 
called Stalking the Herd. It is not out yet. It'll be out sometime around Christmas, I think. Okay, okay. No, but I should mention, though, that Topanga Canyon is very close to Tahanga Canyon, and actually Preston Dennett wrote a book about, I mean, relatively It's across speaking. the valley. Oh, well, I don't drive, so I assume it's just... It is about... 15 miles away, so not that far. But, but. but Preston Dennett did write a book about about what went down uh, in, in, in yeah. Topanga. So, yes. So yeah, but it's something about the foothills and the canyons. Yeah, well, I think it's, um, for whatever's going on, it's a good place to hide. Yeah, yeah. No, I found out some very interesting things about Tahanga. Um, like, so, yeah, what? Well, supposedly, like, and I should have done some research before I came here, but the first thing I did, of course, was look up what's the weirdest stuff going on in, in, right in Tahanga. <laughs> right here. Oh, right here. Um, and uh, and uh, supposedly there's some kind of vortex in the foothills and supposedly some kind of, like, tiny underground base. And I even I even bugged uh, Tal Levesque again, and I was really scared of him for a while. Because he's not scary. He's scary if he reads your mind. For no. like a week Who straight. Was it? I, I lost the audio there for a second. Who was it we're talking about? Tal Levesque. He's, he's oh, okay. Yeah, he's a very T A L capital letters. Yeah, he's a very wow. Very that's annoying. I'm gonna close the door. Character, um, actually, well, very very spooky, but in a comical sort of Loki way. But basically, the reason I got frightened of him as I was like doing research into Dulce just for fun and uh, I was asking what he knew and he was sending me all this cryptic stuff like if you get in touch with him like he just sends you this crazy Yes, stuff. I know. Yeah, I, which is why I fun. stopped talking to him. Right. Well, the reason I stopped talking to him was that after a while, I because I couldn't figure it out, and I think that's what he wants you to do: is figure this stuff out. If you can get past my defenses of weirdness, I'll I don't. Have, and Adam yeah. Go Rightly has done this. He's he's patient, and he I think he knows him pretty well. Yeah, I think yeah. they actually live sort of near each other. Yeah, they do live near each other, and I think Tal was talking about like starting some kind of like utopian community or something up in uh, yeah Mariposa, but uh, he runs. Well, I don't know. I'd love to meet the guy. He sounds like a great character. But the reason I had to stop talking to him is I was doing this Dulce research, and um, and I would literally, like, in my head have a specific question. And, like, i just think, oh, I wonder about that. And I'd get on my email the next time, and he would have sent me stuff specifically relating to that. And it didn't just happen once. It happened, like, 12 times. And after that, I was like, you know what? This is... Okay, you know, this is a little too weird. I mean, I don't want to be remote viewed upon necessarily by him, I mean. <laughs> yeah. But well, maybe you were talking about, I think, uh, on the last show or one of the old shows, I listened to the archive. They said something about you thought there were microwaves being beamed at you at one point. You got so into writing the, the book, the project made a book, or were you just being a bit facetious or literally you said something, you, got, you started to get kind of started questioning your own, you know. Uh, that wasn't during Project Beta's way before, and it wasn't microwaves. I thought, I thought people <clears throat> were reading stuff off my com computer screen from out on the street. I right. thought people were reading my mail, which was happening because I was getting all letters I got from Carla Turner and cattle mutilation researcher Peter Jordan were all either mutilated. <laughs> Um, oh. Torn open, destroyed, damaged, or never got to me. That's very interesting. Uh, I guess I heard. I thought you were joking about it, but and I, I had the I had the phone yeah, calls it seems too. Like there's been a few, you know, people that, that reliably have said stuff like that. that yeah, the, get, and I had the phone calls too, know. where you'd have like the same. You have somebody call your house like thirty, forty, fifty times a day and hang up. Right. I had that too. I don't know how many people have that, and I never. I, 
I would pick up the phone once in a while, and there would, it would just hang up. It'd be, I could actually hear somebody hanging up. So, but that didn't go on. That went on for like a year, and my paranoia. Well, it went on for a few months, and my paranoia went on for about a year. And then, as Paul Krasner and I discussed at one point, I got tired of it. I got tired of feeling scared, so I just made an actual conscious decision to quit worrying about it. And you know what? Right. It disappeared after that. Lo and behold. So, is it a perception? Or was it was actually happening, or was it a, you know, was it me creating right. it in concert with the thing that whatever whatever was going on? I think that's probably did, more like it. Did, did I bring this up on the show before? But do you remember? Do you remember when the first uh, conspiracy con happened? And I in San Jose. In San Jose, two thousand one. Three weeks before 9-11, actually, it was at the end yeah. of, I, like, literally. Perfect time. No, very, very auspicious. But um, I bought all these T-shirts with that, that God Save, uh, no, that, like. The uh, lizard. The uh, lizard shirt. I was like, what the, was the, it? Uh, Never mind the filthy lucre, here come the reptiles. Yes. It's my favorite shirt, and yeah. I lost it, and it was made by some. I like this one. Oh, the numerologist, that's good. Okay. Yeah. Well, I always wanted one of these. That is very cute. They're still selling them. Uh, it's a uh, high school David in Michigan. Ike, speaking of Here Come the Reptiles, is he still doing his... Oh, no, but i got to finish this. I think I gotta he finish is. This. Uh, Scott is going to finish your story. No, 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 because these T-shirts were awesome, and it was this theater theater guy from Seattle that made them. He was selling them for $3 a piece, and it was like an image of, of the Queen of England. And so I picked up a bunch to give to people. And remember, you you were at work, and I had put one in an envelope for Ken Thomas, I think yeah. it was, and you and it was in the in your car, and your security, like there was security and all that stuff, and you went to your car, and your car had been broken into. The envelope was gone, but all like your... Your tech stuff was still there. Or really? I, yeah, you don't remember that? Vaguely. <laughs> where I mean, where, was, where did that way. happen? In LA? No, that was when you were at work. You were you brought the package to work. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So well, can I say that? Can I yeah. say thing? Okay. So he could mail it for free. We all do it, right? Yeah. But um. <laughs> Yeah, you went back to your car, and it was gone, but everything else of value was actually still there. There's a lot of crazy people in that neighborhood at that time where I was working. Oh. That was a fair... I mean, sorry. It was uh, Santa Monica and um, Highland. Right, right. It used to be a real, like, heavy hooker area. Ooh. They used to... The, our street where I worked used to be... People would cruise that street for hookers, and it was like a party. People would go, they'd be going up and down the street, and the hookers would be dancing, and it was great. And the cops would come and, and break it all up. Yeah, yeah. So we'd sit on the roof, and wow. I, I threw quarters at them, at the cops. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, the um, yeah, I I didn't know what to make of it at the time about just having the t-shirt stolen. But I was, you know, I was like, okay, either somebody really wants t-shirts, or there's a lot of crazy people in this neighborhood. But there was other, there was stuff of value in your car that was yeah. still there. That's what that's what like since shit for me is being like, okay. That's, well, you're that's assuming people odd. are in general sane. <laughs> well, we'll get to that later. <laughs> if I had to live like some of the people around there had to live, I don't think I'd be sane for very long. Right. I might have thought those those T-shirts was the an- were the answer to everything, answer to all my problems, <laughs> and not I'm... having to you know get a iPod or whatever the hell was in the car. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I'd really love to get in touch with that guy that made those shirts, but that was two thousand and one, so not going to happen. I've actually looked him up. Oh, speaking of Joshua Tree, did you go out to that contact in the desert? Yes, Please I did. Tell me you didn't, goddammit, because you know what? 
I had tickets and we were gonna go. Well, I had I had passes and we were gonna go. And that was when I moved the weekend I moved into Tatanga and I just I was like, there's no way. And I still owe uh, Chica. You're still and, doing this like this. Oh, I I still owe Chica. Hello. Uh, I, I still owe Chica an apology actually for not going because I she think was she a did ask after you when we were yeah, there. Yeah, no, she she actually like desperately not desperately but she like texted me like where the hell are you? I have 20 dinner tickets for you or something. And yeah. I was like, Enough. They sold out. Yeah, that's right. And all, because all the hotels were sold out for like 40 miles around. Yeah. So I hope to God they do it next year because I hope to have it She together. will probably do it next year because they, she can't not. They did really well. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. That really gives me hope because, like, I was just talking to Ken today about uh, the I think co- I was basically absolutely interested in nobody that was speaking there. Well, that's, that's that's really good to know because you're alienating <laughs> anybody that spoke there that might be listening. But um, I don't no, care. The, the COPA conference that's happening for the JFK assassination 50th anniversary, like Ken keeps bitching about um, about how like they're not getting like he didn't even get his hotel and his flight paid for. And and it's like I have, a, I have it's a, that bad now. A, yeah, and and he's like, oh, there's no conference, there's no conference uh, culture left at all, and, and like the, the, there isn't, which is why it should be all done online with occasional no, conferences. No, 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 because it's very important to actually do things in person. I said I with occasional conferences so people can meet each other. Well, that's the important. thing. I don't think thing. they should be done away with. I just think there should be more online ones so more people, people. can hear. And you could sit there for yeah. five hours and yeah. watch, and also ask questions of the speakers, and you didn't have to travel anywhere. Really. All you had to do is sit in front of your computer and spend ten bucks. Right. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic idea. I mean, well, some of them do that now. I mean, the X Conference has been doing that the longest, I think, you know, like streaming the conference and it's like for a very cheap price, being able, you know, yeah. to, to, for people to do that. But I, I personally like whenever I can. I really because I'm uh, Joseph Farrell. Sorry, that's it. okay. Right, <laughs> the, the Nazi, the Nazi bell guy. Um, Amongst other things, yes, yes, yes he's yes. another person. Every time you turn around, he's written a book. Yeah, oh, God, like Nick Redfern. Right? Yeah, Nick has one of the books. I said. Nick signed a book to me. It said another one from the book factory. No, actually, actually, um, I and maybe he won't hear this, but it's actually, I I respect that man to such a degree. He's like Stephen King. I asked him, it's like, how the heck do you do this? You know, how do you turn this stuff out and not turn? Because he's disciplined. Yeah, I know. He's like, get up, like Stephen King, like gets up at you know nine o'clock, turns on the computer, works all day, shuts it down at five o'clock. Yeah. And and I think that's really because he's from Birmingham, England, because that's a. Did they very, have an extreme work ethic there? They have an extreme work ethic. It's a it's a it's steel factory town that produced basically all of original heavy metal yeah. and and you talk to these guys and it's like yeah you, you sit there all day in the elementary school and I listen to the pounding of steel every day, every day. <laughs> and it's either factory working or in the and 70s it was getting into bands because it produced half of Led Zeppelin, Iron Maiden, and Judas Priest, and some other bands. I mean, like all from Birmingham. Yeah. So, like Nick, I think has that Birmingham. That, yeah, no, that that serious like ethic that uh, you know, being from Los Angeles, I really lack, and I wish somebody would give me some discipline because what they say about. Angelinos in Los Angeles really is true, even if you can't help it. People are like, "Yeah, I'll totally do that," and eighty percent of the time, no, doesn't quite happen. It and I, I know I've been guilty of that, but it's because of extreme depression, um, usually. <laughs> yes, and everybody here has an excuse. As a, yeah, and a screen, some legit, some not, and a screenplay. Yeah, I don't. I think I get some Greg excuses. Is the and, person I know. Yeah, some excuses and no screenplays. How you been doing, Tim? I'm good. How are you, man? I'm doing all right. You've been you've been traveling, I see. I haven't been traveling very much. What do you mean? Can you go to Tokyo or something? 
Yeah, last year we went to we didn't go to Tokyo. We went to Japan last year. Oh, well, it's been a while though. Yeah, um, and I, I I I put this on Facebook, but I got my pilot's license yesterday. And you're oh, flying you're flying us to Cuba. Yes. Right. Yeah. Immediately. <laughs> No, that no. Congratulations, that's a huge accomplishment. Because I, I do know personally. Took a year and a half. But how many hours did you have to complete for that? Required is forty instruction and twenty solo. I had about, or no, ten solo. So I had fourteen solo and about something like ridiculous, like f- twice the amount, eighty hours of instruction. Wow. Just because I did not want to screw up when I did my test. It's not cheap to get a pilot's license. Yeah, I well, basically, like, I've been doing. I, I have the pilot's can license. Can you rent an airplane? Like, yes, you can, and then just. Go. I have to go flying with somebody that owns the airplane, like the rental company, oh. and make sure they make sure that I'm not some kind of wacko that doesn't know how to fly the plane or, or whatever. Or does like go fly to Cuba? <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know. I could tell them I'm going to go wherever and then fly to Cuba. I don't know. Yeah, the, and then yeah, yeah, the, the pl- then you've got planes only, only go like 120 to 160, 180 miles an hour. And you only have one hostage, so it would be easy to dispose of the body and perhaps even the plane, so that there would be no wreckage that, that could trace you to yeah. any particular location. You know my my favorite plane crash story mm-hmm. and i don't know if it's a crash it's bd cooper Will, yeah no <laughs> wilbur oh, wilkinson no there. yeah yeah that's one of them wilbur wilkinson and carl hunrath in the night in the late 50s the they they left their families moved in with each other in south la somewhere and covered their walls apparently with alien writing and then they told wow. people that the aliens were going to meet them at a certain place, and they had to fly there. They rented a plane from the airport in Glendale and were never heard from again. That's they never fantastic. found the plane. That's a fantastic story. And I want to go look up more on that. Like, I've, I've got to get, get the date nailed down. It's been a, like a dream of mine to go down to the L.A. Public Library somewhere and just start searching the records for any kind of... What are these guys? Oh. Wilbur Wilkinson. Okay. And Carl, K-A-R-L, I believe, Hunrath, H-U-N. Oh, I'll wait till you finish Wilkinson. It's a long name. Yeah. Hunrath. Okay, and Carl Hunrath. I can't remember Joseph Farrell, but I can remember Wilbur yeah, Wilkinson. Right. Well, that's the kind of weirdo you are. <laughs> um, okay. Carl, wow. K-A-R-L, Hunrath, H-U-N-R-T-H. Okay, I probably misspelled that. But. And you know what the, the tragedy is of it is? It's probably somebody came into their apartment after they weren't around anymore, had, had disappeared, and just tore all those papers down with the alien writing and threw it away. Yeah. Of course, yeah. that's what happens. I, I mean, mean, besides the fact that they most likely died somewhere in a, in a plane crash. See, um, I thought, I thought right. your favorite story was going to involve cannibalism, because mine would. But, um, yeah, okay. well, I, I don't think that far in advance. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. But that's <laughs> always been my favorite UFO, you know, plane-related UFO story. Besides yeah. uh, Frederick Valentich. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, I, I might, I might yeah. be able to find some information. Was it that case, you? Greg, where, where the, at the end he supposedly had this this last uh, audio transmission, which most people say now was not part of the real story, where he said it's not from this earth or they've got me or something really, really far out. Yeah, I don't remember the case. details. Bruce Maccabee would know that one. Uh, it, it was something that was kind of funny, though. It was they're not from this earth or something. It was the last transmission or, but, but, yeah, or the apocryphal story. Yeah, yeah, I, I've heard that a few times. And that's the same thing that, they, you know, um, the uh, Thomas Mantell story. What are you whispering about? The Thomas Mantell story, <laughs> um, supposedly the last, Maybe the, last thing, of, yeah. the last thing he said was, oh, my God, there are men in it. 
But that, okay, that's what it was. Yeah, and the only place I've ever heard that was um, Dave. Who was that crazy conspiracy guy? The Which guy, one? Uh, the, yeah, <laughs> the one that did the KFJC broadcasts in, in the 80s and 90s. Um, the, oh, food for thought and grounds for further research. That guy, Dave. <laughs> see, I can't remember names anymore. Anyway, he was the only one I've ever heard that story from when he said that, you know, the last line was, oh my, because he was pointing out that it's all military stuff. That was his, you know, that, that was his thing. It was, you know, New World Order oh, okay. military okay. stuff is all, it's, that's all UFOs are, which, which, you right. know, um, Dave Emery. Oh, Dave Emery. Oh, yeah. everybody knows Dave Emery. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that, that shows his bias, too. That's what people say. What you think all UFOs are from, you know, made by the military? It's like, why would I ever think such a thing? It has nothing, right. to, you know. And that, that I don't know why. The what was people, it? Uh, I wanted to ask because you it has this. to be one thing, that right? I have, but that Linda Moulton Howe said something, and when you asked her in an interview once about finding gas mass at cow mutilation, she said that aliens were putting them there to fool us. Yes, she said that to me at, uh, at a conference. Yeah. In confidence, she, like, pushed me into a corner and very quietly said, well, you know they're doing that to make us think that it's humans doing it. And I respectfully disagree. Yeah. Have there been good explanations in which people are good cases, rather, sorry, where people have actually found stuff like that that you think reliably so, that would point to some kind of bigger conspiracy? Well, it's... it's, um, it's extremely complicated. The vast majority of the cow mutilation stuff, from talking to Chris um, and a couple other people over the years, uh, Gabe Valdez specifically, before he passed away a couple years ago, was that there are humans doing it, most of them, probably the great majority of them. There's a few totally unexplained, extremely strange ones. There's always some outliers, um, which I don't, you know, I, I don't know what the, what the solution to those are. But the vast majority of them seem to be within the normal, you know, reach of human technology, albeit with helicopters right. that are very quiet. Um, because why would, what, you know, that why would aliens need to one abduct hundreds and hundreds of cattle over many years? It's like mm-hmm. yeah, humans only, and that's the same thing with the abductions. But why do you need to do it so many times? Well, you get a cow or two, and you got the whole genome. And the the weird thing about the cattle that are mutilated and taken are there. Basically, one kind of species or type of cow or bloodline of cow, they're all basically a certain age, um, a lot of calves, a lot of, a lot of younger cattle. And, um, uh, yeah, well, and there's... there's, there's it's something that, you know, I want to say simple, but then one, you know, sampling the population of the... Well, it, yeah, I think it's a sampling, and, you know, this may change, but for many years I've thought, and this is basically from Gabe and, and Chris, is that there's some kind of pathogen that got out into the animal population it could screw up the right. beef industry they're very worried about it um, there may be other aspects to it like you know biological testing psychological testing um, covert operations practice things like that but right. but that's right. interesting because you just said they they are all come from a specific, like a, like a particular bloodline or like the same bloodline gets mutilated over and over and it's like with the abduction phenomena um, that happens with humans like from a lot of the people that I've talked to it's like I had a guy that got in touch with me well species like Brahma bulls never get 
Well, bra- really that's because Brahma bulls kick ass. <laughs> I really do. I actually fell in love with a Brahma bull at the county fair many years ago. I that would make a good story. No, literally, like, no, I looked into his eyes, and he was the most beautiful creature I'd ever seen. And I was like, I totally understand why you're not eaten. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, I've talked to so many people where it's like they... You know, they've had abduction experiences, uh, were, you know, had been visited, and they go, yeah, but my grandmother was, too, in 1947, and, and it turned out that like, yeah. her gra- grandmother had similar experiences, and, like, and like, you know, it's just, it's very interesting. Has anybody yeah. ever read, written a book on that subject, I wonder? They have mentioned it in many books, and as you're saying that, I'm thinking, well, is it because aliens, or whatever they are, mm-hmm. are inter- or whatever's causing it, are interested in certain people, or are those kind of people more sensitive to the thing, attract it, um, hmm. can initiate it without even knowing it? Maybe that kind of uh, that kind of experience because of their genetics. Hmm. You know, because hmm. I, I I keep going back to all the time, and people are sick of it by now. Is it goes both ways? Hmm. I think it goes both ways in a lot hmm. of these paranormal things. Hmm. You get to a point hmm. where you're, you're contributing. Uh, I hate to drop this term, like people love to use the term quantum these days, because everything's quantum. But you do have a weird interaction between. Observer and observe. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's exactly where one ends and where it begins is. Yeah, exactly. Difficult. That that is what I'm getting at. I think there's a lot more interaction going on than people want to let on because you have no handle in normal life, normal thought, and your experience for something. So you're furiously trying to put meaning and and maybe even your perception and your memory yeah. of it into some context that you can handle because you've never seen it before yeah. and. That the, whatever is affecting you is is affect. It's just doing its thing, mm-hmm. and so between you and it comes that experience that you remember, mm-hmm. whatever right. that might right. be. And I don't know. I'm pretty certain that's not exactly what went on. But what's important? Well, actually, you know what went on. What went on was that interaction, the the, the sighting, the abduction, right. the the ghost, whatever you saw. That maybe not as much ghost, but the, that paranormal event is an the, the result of it. Is an interaction between you and the observed. Right, right. That's my current, my current uh, observer, because you're the observed, right? Either or, yeah. Okay, okay. Whatever the witness reports to us is an interaction between that and their perception of it. Their experience oh, of it. Reverse us. Okay. Well, anyway, because are you going to get in trouble for sounding all psychosocial? Isn't that the term now? Psychosocial. <laughs> is it? Is that the new one? Yeah, I, I, it sounds. It sounds. Sounds like a um, a, uh, a term Jim Mosley would have uh, probably. No, no. This is a. If you get into the serious uh, footnoted, re- I'm reading the Eddie Bullard, the Thomas Bullard uh, piece, and uh, what was that CDB? The uh, myth and mystery of UFOs. Thomas Bullard. Yeah, I, and, I know uh, who Bullard is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, into um, exactly what you're talking about. How do you even start to measure what the important part of the phenomenon is when people's reports are maybe more significant than what the actual event was, if you want to say it that way. Which What's more significant? That's a great way to say it, but... What's more significant? Uh, the, the, the report becomes more important uh, than possibly what the actual stimulus was, to, you know, in, in some regards. Yeah. The, I'm losing you here, hang on. Well, you don't know what... You, uh, see, he's assuming... Well, I haven't read the paper... He's assuming that the actual stimulus is knowable. I don't know right. if it's knowable right. by us at can, this can point. I, can I put my yeah. two, two cents in here? Of course, here? you're here. Thank you. You're supposed <laughs> to be putting... <laughs> no. You can put your $5 in. Oh, I would appreciate that. No, because um, I... Uh, 
I mean, I, I started looking into all this stuff when I was like six years old, and um, I really did. And by the time I was 12, well, I, my, my first uh, UFO sighting actually took place. And I really should mention this because, God, I need somebody to verify it for me. I wrote a column where I mentioned it in UFO magazine, and I can't get anybody to verify it. But it happened with hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, by the time I was 12, I, I begged my mom, like people my age, you know, mid-30s, like I, I think watching the Challenger explosion was kind of like our JFK <laughs> assassination because, you know, I remember they wheeled the TV on the cart into the classroom and everybody was like, yay, yay, yay. And then that was a horrible yeah, thing. I remember that. You know, like seriously, like it traumatized me and, it, you know, traumatized America. And it took three years before they put up another shuttle. Yeah, and uh, the discovery, and they were landing it at at uh, Edwards. Edwards, and I was so happy that I begged my mother to drive me up there to to watch the landing. And I've repeated this a number of times, but um, I maybe there's a listener to your show that was actually at that landing. It was like 1989. I don't remember the month, but um, the public was invited, and hundreds of people showed up. It was like it was like a tailgate party. because yeah. um, it was it was about like celebrating. America as much as the space program and um, my mother and I were parked behind parked in front of a truck full of off-duty military Air Force <laughs> men yeah. and uh, everybody was like happy and it was supposed to show up at like 8 in the morning something like that and everybody was sleeping in their cars and about 5 o'clock <clears throat> that morning it was supposed to land this big red light came shooting hurtling towards basically the airstrip and people were people were freaking out because we all thought it was the shuttle crashing on us you know and early and my mom was like oh my god this is the end um because it's a you know it's like it'll crash burn up like we you know we could die and it was like only a number of seconds but it came hurtling at us and it, it took a dead stop about I, I I can't really remember but about like 50 meters or 100 meters above the tarmac and it stayed there for like Dry lake. Well, no, there was actually. I, I remember there being tarmac, but I was a little kid, so um, that's I why think I need it's all dry lake. But they they put like markings into it so you can actually see sort of like runways. If you look on Google Maps, which I don't know if it's accurate because it's it's Edwards, but. Yeah, I don't think there's any. Anyway, go ahead. I, I just I remember being there and there being some kind of tarmac that was laid out for the shuttle because people were parked in this like big area around it. Yeah. yeah. And so anyway, I went to one of them. The, yeah, I know the landings, it's, it's yeah. wonderful. Um, but the yeah, it just so what happened it, with the red light? It, it, the red light. It and just, this is five in the morning. Yeah, it's like five. Still in the dark. Morning. Yes, it was still dark, and it and it just stood there. It just like sat there. It just sat there, and it shot straight back up into space. At incredible speed, and it's like all I remember is the red light. It was red light, and I don't remember there being a shape. I don't remember uh -huh. the the configuration of it. But it shot into space, and and I mean, I was like twelve, and this is like my dream come true, yeah. you know. And and I'm sitting there with my mom, but we could hear the, the the Air Force men behind us, you know. And they were young guys, but one of them said, "Holy fuck, that was no military. No, that was no fucking military aircraft." And I that I was like. Oh, that's too good. I'm yeah. so happy. But I haven't been able to verify any else, anybody else that, oh, that was yeah. there. Because huh. there were hundreds of people. Yeah. Hundreds. You know what I mean? And probably not all of them or we're most awake, of them. Pardon? 
They weren't all awake, but they got to be. Yeah, yeah. Be there some were, people. There were. Uh, there had to be enough people because, like, it woke up my mother. I don't remember there being any sound, but she, like, she freaked out. She said she said she wasn't going to wake me up because she thought we were going to die. But I woke up anyway because there was some commotion. Yeah. And we had a sprint, so <laughs> we we weren't like exactly camping. Yeah. Um, and so uh, anyway, if anybody if anybody listening can verify by having been there that this event happened, I would so appreciate it because I don't remember anybody coming out and saying, shut the fuck up to the reporters, don't say anything, because the shuttle did land on time. Everything was fine. Yeah. You know, um, there was no, like, okay, everybody be quiet type type deal. But um, but that was, like, that was Well, seriously. either it was an unknown or everybody was supposed to see it, one of the two. Well, if everybody was supposed to see it, they would have waited until it was light and people were awake. No, because of the dark cloaks things. You can't see everything. All you see is the light. All right, all right. Have it your way. Well, but, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, Have you seen anything, Greg? I don't know if personally you've ever had a sighting or not. No, not really. I had a bright light when I was in Death Valley one time at like 2 or 3 in the morning. Very bright light hanging over. It looked like the Mercury Range out there in Nevada because it was east of Death yeah. Valley. Extremely bright light. Hey, my friend here, my friend here, uh, actually recently had his first sighting. If Todd, did you see to... a Todd? Right? Yeah, yeah, did you yeah, see? Yeah. A, did you see a, a UFO recently? I think so. It was oh some, wait, it, and there was the one in Santa Barbara. Go ahead. Well, well, it, this was about I would say eight months ago, and it was at, at, in the parking lot of the pavilions at uh, on the corner of Melrose and Vine. And I, I was just pulling in, you know, to get some groceries. And I and I uh, got out of my car, and I noticed there's, a, there's a, a guy there just looking up into the sky. And I just thought it was odd. He was the only one looking at it and just staring in the sky. So, I, you know, I was looking up. What the heck is this guy looking at? And I looked up in the sky, and I saw a light. And then I just said, whoa, what the heck is that? And then it was traveling like a... Uh, a very like a slow, steady, horizontal pace, but it was very high up, thousands of feet up, and yeah. it was a horizontal pace. Uh, horizontally, he was traveling across the sky, and then, uh, and I was, you know, I took notice, and this is very strange. And then the light just shot straight up into the sky and kept getting higher, higher, and higher, and it just, it was, it was not a balloon. It was not, it, it was silent. It, there was something very strange about that. I don't know what it was. But I know that I wasn't the only one who saw it. So this was about six months, pavilion, parking lot, Vine and Melrose. And it was just a very strange light that that wasn't a weather balloon or a, a remote control object. It was way too high for that. Was this night, nighttime? It was nighttime, yeah. yeah. And, okay. and, it was br- and, you know, those parking lots are very illuminated by yeah. the, the So to, to, that light in the sky must have been I mean, really, really bright. Really yeah. bright. Yeah. Very, very strange. And, you know... And it, it totally it just it kind of you know, bugged me out because I was like, what the heck is that? That is not normal, you know. So, yeah, that was my little story with a UFO. I don't there is a um, site called Space Flight Now, which is just it's a site that just tells you when rockets are going to go up from Vandenberg. So if I have a chance every once in a we went one time and watched a rocket go up from Vandenberg at night in the summer on the beach. That sounds and so it was romantic. crystal clear. <laughs> it was at Halama Beach, uh, which is south of Vandenberg. Sigrun and I went out there. You had to mm. drive, let, stay in Lompoc and mm. then drive down this road and then out on this like tiny little two-lane blacktop to this beach called Halama Beach, mm. where there's like hundreds of people camping and campers and stuff. And they serve Halama burgers, which are really good. Anyway, we went and sat on the sand, and at about 9 o'clock at night, and there's like, um, there's hot wind go- blowing out to sea, so it's crystal clear out. No fog, no nothing. 
not a UFO story. The the rocket went up. I recorded it actually. It just sounds like everybody goes whoa because you could see the flash mm, when it ignited. Mm, mm, mm. And then about about ten seconds later, you hear this like really low, and you see the thing. We saw that we didn't even need binoculars. You could see it perfectly clearly. You could see it. Sta- the first stage fell off, and it fell towards the ocean with the with the exhaust still coming out. It was still going, mm-hmm. and it kept going. It was amazing. That sounds that sounds like a great date, actually. Yeah, <laughs> but they the the thing was, I went to their site, and they had like you know past observations and what people have seen. It's like you know we mm. saw the rocket this day. You know this this time it was lit up by the sunset. It was very pretty, and you know we took mm. an unusual picture. One of them, there was a section that said unusual sightings. What the hell's that? I went and looked, and it was a report from some pilot that was flying out near the out in uh, out over the Pacific, and he said it was a pilot or a, or a passenger on a plane. They said they saw something. It was flying. Yeah, that's it. It was flying along vertically, um, like a like a uh, an airplane. And it was it was pretty far away. What are you doing? It's pretty far away, and it, it, if you go to space flight now, I think you can navigate to this. But as the, it, they said, it was going uh, horizontally like a plane, then suddenly it stopped in midair, and then it shot straight up into space. And this was near Vandenberg. So it might have been a little bit of the, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, except that that kind of keyed off the old, what was it, the flight out of uh, one of the early sightings of a structured craft that Blue Book took seriously. It came out of Montgomery. These two pilots for uh, you know one of the airlines, right? They, they, they saw this kind of disc shaped, but it had windows on it, and the thing had like a rocket coming out of the back end, and just shot by the Nash Fortenberry, I think, where the guy. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, that case, yeah. That always struck me as a, as a strange one that you have a rocket, you know, attached to the end, and it makes you it makes me wonder at least if there's yeah, it just seemed like a good uh, explanation for something where people might have reported something extremely. Unusual, but had a you know an possibly mundane explanation. We're yeah. getting at maybe. Yeah, either that or you know that you know us adding something to it thing, or maybe it was some military thing because it's always you know ten or twenty years ahead, and th- there's all right. these factors. 50, that go. 50, 50 years ahead. Oh, fifty. I think it depends on I what the technology depends. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My <laughs> uh, iPhones are only six months ahead. Yeah. <laughs> what is with that? Um, can we? It's, you can play a song, right? It's nine o'clock and break things up for a second. Oh, you guys are taking over the show. No, not at all. It's just, just joking. Uh, I like a smoke break. <laughs> what? I, I'm going to look oh, it up on YouTube. Oh. What was the name of the song? Oh. By Mick Farron. Oh God. Yeah, that's actually eight and a half minutes long. Look up Bella Lugosi. Uh, a bunch of Bella Lugosi stuff's going to come up. And McFerrin. Okay. So you can actually just pull up a song from your little techie thing there on YouTube and get it to play on the radio show? Yeah. Really? How do you do that? I just plug the... I, I unplugged Tim, unfortunately, and plugged the input into this. Okay, right on. It's okay. I can have my own smoke break. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Okay, it's, thank it's, you so much. It's only like, actually, it's three minutes long, but um, I'll be back in a second. Okay. Uh, and this is, and this is. Oh, um, go ahead, please. Oh, if I if I can introduce, please this, do this guy. Um, he was a really important social, political activist, writer, journalist. Uh, started the Glastonbury Festival. Uh, was uh, an anarchist hippie. Um, who predated he and his band uh, are thought to be like 
uh, one of the most important like proto punk bands ever. And unfortunately, they're not. He's not really well known, and, and um, he moved. He was English, moved to America. He was a, also an editor at NME, and he moved to America. Um, like 30 years ago, lived in New York, was uh, a writer there, wrote 30 books. He wrote science fiction. He wrote vampire fiction. He wrote El- four books about Elvis, um, just absolutely brilliant stuff. He wrote 30, 30 books and uh, moved out to L.A. and lived here for 17 years. And um, Very nice guy. I met him a few times. Extremely and wonderful person. You want to talk to him for hours. Yeah, absolutely. Which, which we did. Everybody, everybody should... Well, anyhow, he passed away in late July, and uh, on stage, ironically enough, he collapsed and had a heart attack, but what a great way to go, because he was a really fantastic uh, showman and poet, and actually, if you would put on, if you would put on, I thought you said, oh, uh, is the one you texted me about before? yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's an Aztec calendar, Aztec calendar. Instead of Bela Lugosi? Yeah, I just hope the lyrics are are, are legible or audible. Um, but people can also look this video up and um, just be kind of amazed. This guy was just an absolute powerhouse, and he... he he, he lived here for he lived here for almost thirty years, and I, I you know I have notes on what I thought we could talk about that veers from the UFO subject, but another time. Um, but he lived here for thirty years. He wrote thirty books. He was incredibly prolific. Didn't have health insurance. Had asthma since childhood, and um, couldn't afford to go see a doctor because his medication was almost two thousand dollars a month. And uh, me and Jeanette Napolitano from Concrete Blonde at his memorial, like we're just totally rallying against the American healthcare system because he did move back to England basically to eventually die, but also for the healthcare. And as soon as he got there, well, actually, like a year and a half later. Um, he, he went to the doctor and he had a grape. No, no, it was actually pretty soon. He had a grapefruit-sized tumor in one of his lungs, and there was. He literally was almost a shut-in because he couldn't walk, he couldn't breathe, and aside from the asthma and the chronic pot smoking <laughs> and cigarette smoking, because the bastard wouldn't quit. Um, um, you know, it took going to England uh, to be taken care of, and uh, I'm very, very extremely sad that he passed away. But because um, you don't, I oh, I guess I should mention that I kind of was this living assistant for years, and um, I got credited with with keeping him alive at the memorial, which is nice. Yeah, it was nice. But anyhow, um, look him up, Mick Farron, amazing guy, and um, and but he passed away on stage, so poetic. And okay, I'm gonna go have that cigarette now. Okay, here it is, Aztec calendar. McFerrin in the last bin standing. Society is getting old. Once again, we walk out of the rain like Godzilla. When I walk in here, I claim to think about death. Now we're going to think about the end of the planet.
I think, I think it has to be, um, uh, I'm sorry, that was uh, McFerrin and the Last Man Standing with Al- Aztec Calendar. Uh, let's plug uh, Tim back in here. Timmy, there? I'm here. Are you talking uh, to me? Yes, I am. Robert De Niro. Yeah. Are you talking exactly. to me? Yeah. Are we supposed to, uh, oh, did you want, are we supposed to do an introduction thing, or should we just start rambling? Uh, you know, people have complained, they said, you know, well, only a couple people said, you should announce your show and who's on at various points throughout the show. Yeah, uh, people might not know, and I had Tim on before, but he was um, he was a friend and honorary um, uh, editor or or co-editor or associate editor of Saucer Smear, the longest running UFO zine in the entire world, I think. Yeah, uh, still publishing after death at least one issue. You know that was the other claim to fame, which I. You helped me out, by the way, on getting that last issue after Jim's Jim's death online. I think so. It was much appreciated. Sure. Um, you know what's funny, and I still have uh, the phone number. Jim's daughter called and asked if I wanted my last issue. Really recently? Uh, months ago. Literally, I think about three months after he passed. Oh wow. And I didn't know what to say yeah, to call uh, her back, so I didn't. But I still have her number. Yeah, unfortunately, I've had a lot of people more, you know, recently ask me what happened to a lot of his, his you know, papers and books and stuff. And, you know, I, I it's not something I know the answer to, unfortunately. I'd asked him about if anything he wanted to, you know, make sure was passed along in the UFO posterity. But Yeah, the uh, when Dan Fry died out uh, about oh god about probably 15 years ago now in yucca valley um i heard 
there was a garage sale, and they just put all his stuff out in the driveway, and just people came by and picked it up. I mean, wow. bought it. From you know, him, and I sadly, I can I can see that from hearing so many stories about so many people that have passed in the past. You know, I don't know, five years or ten years, I guess now. But that that you know, I guess I could see family members coming in, and what's this big box of marked UFO files, and people put stuff out, and you know, not thinking there's a a lot of people that would like to see some of that stuff preserved. You know, like at the Barker archives. Yeah. So some of it was bought. Some of it has disappeared to people that just came by the garage sale. Um, and there's a bookstore out in Yucca Valley called Sagebrush Press. They got a bunch of that stuff. I got one book from the Dan Fry, yeah, Dan Fry collection. It was right. uh, it was a copy of Son of the Sun by Orfeo Angelucci signed to Dan Fry from Orfeo Angelucci. <laughs> That's great. And uh, the, I know uh, he had a few other books uh, too. I think it's. I think it's Andy Colvin is his name. He, he mentioned he's trying to work with him on scanning some of it into an electronic form now. That'd be pretty cool. Oh, is Andy doing that? If he is, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. He had mentioned it. Uh, I'm not sure how far along they are in it, but he's... Well, he I'll contact him and go. ask him. Yeah. The, um... But yeah, there's actually some stuff up there. I know that Jim was kind of... Uh, there were a couple letters. You probably know the story. He mentioned he was embarrassed. Uh, I guess it was a copy of the straight letter or something that not the straight letter, but one of the other ones they had typed up at the time that to his father, to Jim's father. And Jim oh, really? And Jim torn up the other copy and thrown it away, and Barker had retained it because it was on that government stationery, you know. And Jim had said that if he ever got up there, he had to try to burn that thing. <laughs> what was it? I know Jim did not have the best it, relationship with his father, who I think was a Navy, like, high up in the Navy. Uh, I think he, yeah, he had an army something. He was a general, you know, and uh, I, I just recall it was something vaguely about to you your anti-American activities need to cease, you know, and it was on the same letterhead as the, the straight they, letter with Damsky was. So. Oh, really? They said that they were going to send that to Jim's father? Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I know that, uh, I guess, you know, it, it was in his book, so, you know, it's not a secret, but... I, I, did, I didn't remember that. Either. Tim was yeah. just, Skyler's back, Tim was just saying that uh, Mo, Jim Mosley had written a letter to his father on that same straight letter stationary State Department letterhead, an official letter saying you you should stop your anti-American activities. His father was like a general in the army or admiral in the navy yeah. or something. That's very that's, funny. That's, that's very funny. Jim, every time I hear a story about this, uh, like this about Jim Mosley, my estimation of him goes up like even further. <laughs> oh, that, you know, I think well, to steal a line from the now dead too, Carl Flock, but you know that Jim was like a time machine, man. You know, at the time we got a damsky, we were both drinking, you know, and, and we buried the, the, the typewriter in the wall because, you know, it's these great first-hand accounts of stuff that's, you know, yeah. old school saucer stuff. Yeah, I, I've got, I think, two shows that he was on posted, at least one, on the, the site. And, uh, yeah, I just kept, I tried to keep grilling him about what happened at that, you know, saucer convention. Yeah. You know, yeah, who yeah. who screwed who over? You know, who was fighting with who? Why did a damn ski hate whoever? I'll tell you one of the quick one, though, that he, he told me, just the general of it a lot of times, was that uh, Bill Cooper, back when he was doing his UFO thing, you know, before Behold Tail Horse or whatever, whatever right? Yeah, he, he did, would show up and he'd try to fight people. He, he'd start <laughs> fights, like physical fights with people in the, in the yeah. drinking room or whatever, you know. Where yeah. And, uh, but I guess Bill Cooper had a wood leg. 
supporting the story at least, right? So I think so. Each fights with like you know, I guess Bruce McAvoy or somebody. Right? Right. Bill Cooper but wants to fight. They didn't you. know how to fight, you know, or if they should fight a guy who's you know dragging his wooden leg around and he's screaming and he's drunk and he's angry, and then he went uh, and retired and wrote that book and had the government shoot at him or whatever. But uh, that yeah. sounds like a great time, man. UFO conferences back in the day could hold your attention. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I, I, um, what always amazed me about Cooper is he always had like kids hanging around his table who were really like, huge fans of him. He was like, he was like the yeah, punk UFO had some dude. popular kind of hip thing going almost with the whole, you know, I remember when the book came out, it was uh, one of those books that everybody was like, have you read this, man? You know? Yeah. Vic, uh, Vicky Cooper used to call it Behold a Pale Horse Shit. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> remember, remember the Great Barker Museum. Speaking of um, closer, like, closer, uh, closer, closer. Um, <clears throat> the Great Barker Museum. One of the I dragged of, Skyler to the Great oh, Barker you Museum. Totally drag, you totally yeah. dragged me there. Now um, the worst rainstorm I've ever seen when we were driving back. Yeah, and <laughs> no, but and the sad part was it took them it took them decades to like make sure nobody was stealing stuff. So a bunch of what was actually in there yeah. got stolen. Straight but, like this. But, you have um, to talk onto the top of it. Otherwise, you're talking this way and it's over the side. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I can edit it out. But but one of the my my favorite artifact that was there was a flyer for some great Barker John Keel convention. And at the end, it was the March of the Pink Elephants. Actually, in in the, in, in the in the program, and it was just so cute to me. But, wow. Um, but Jim Mosley, did you go to that new fuck? Conference when it was in LA the one time yes cause, right because um that was the one time Travis I, Walton spoke at that right but that was the one oh, time oh I saw him recently yeah um, but um that was the one time I actually got to meet uh, Jim Mosley and uh, we ended up just he ended up buying me greyhounds the, like for like half half a day and it was like one of the funnest experiences I'd yeah. ever have the only other person that ever bought me greyhounds. Uh, was Billy Barty, and I was underage because I was interviewing him for a Little People of America conference. And I was like, how cool is it to be sitting here with Billy Barty, drinking Greyhounds, and, uh, and, and seeing hundreds of, of little people doing their thing? And yes. that was like, I, I don't know who's going to buy me tons of Greyhounds next that I'll have a good story about, but, or at least a few. The, the first time I met Jim was at the 1997 Roswell thing. He was, and I didn't know, really know anybody, and Jim knew me because I'd interviewed him for the magazine, and he was the coolest. He showed me around to people, introduced me to people, introduced me to his old friends at basically this old couple, and Tim, you probably knew who they Ted, were. Ted, I, Ted, that's, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I, they traveled the country, they, yeah. apparently, in a motorhome with a giant ice chest that was basically a fully yeah. stocked bar, and they would, they'd <laughs> sit in their hotel room, I guess they were in a hotel room, and they... Jim said, oh, come, what are their names? Uh, Ted, uh, God, I remember Ted, and I can't remember her name, but I know who you're talking about. Uh, yeah, he said, come in and meet Ted and his wife. They said, hey, how you doing? They didn't even know my name, I think, at that point. They said, pour yourself a drink, and they opened up this huge ice chest with all this booze in it and mixers and juices. You could make any cocktail out of that ice chest. It was beautiful. <laughs> so I sat there with Jim oh. and his, his Ted, his friends, uh, uh, Ted and his wife, and just had a civilized drink with them and talked about weird stuff, and uh, then yeah, later. Those were my in my my experience. Was the best parts of the uh, you know conference or UFO conference yeah. or the uh, backroom drinks, you know. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> jinx, jinx. 
Are you jinxing the host of the radio show? <laughs> it is the best part. I don't know what it was. It is the best part. Um, there was, I, I wrote something a while ago about because you know, somebody said UFO. All you guys, all you want to do, guys and gals, all you want to do is um, be famous and have people listen to you and get laid and make a bunch of money. I said, really? Have you been? Have <laughs> you tried doing yet, that? I don't know. I'd be, you know. But that's not the reason why you want to do those things. I, I I would like to write more books and do more things and go to these conferences, mainly because I get to see people I haven't seen in a long time. And, you know, would Bud Hopkins, you know, tell you about all these weird cases he doesn't want to talk about with most people or tell you about, you know? He told me. Right. Yeah. And you, you get yeah. that stuff out of people and you get this kind of background that you wouldn't normally get. And, you know, you know, and they, they, they perhaps trust you enough that you're not going to go saying whatever they tell you, but it's it's stuff that you wouldn't believe that they they would really be dealing with or talk about or even accept or consider. And, so, and behind the yeah. scenes and not, and not in public, people have some weird cases, strange beliefs, and and oh, yeah. sometimes things you wouldn't even expect them to believe, like really mundane things well, about, I mean, I think about, about some of their cases. Well, I think about the whole thing with the, with the gas mask. I mean, seriously, you know. So you all find a gas mask, and you're telling me that the aliens put it there. But back to back to Jim Mosley for a second. Do you think there could be a person to replace him in what he did? Nope. In this modern world, which is why Tim told me a while back that they've stopped doing saucer smear. They're not yeah. going to continue and, it, and that's right. They should do that. That I think that's the right decision. Yeah, yeah. But the sociology yeah, behind he, even Jim had mentioned a few times having somebody take over, but. Even the people he wanted to take over persuaded him, you know, it wasn't a good idea to have anybody but him do it. So. Yeah, it's not saucer smear without him, and it shouldn't be called that. And there oh. might be something else like it. Yeah, no, I don't mean, you know. But I don't know who would name. do it. But, he, like, wouldn't it be great if somebody could have the position of being like Studs Terkel and going around to all these conferences and writing a book about, like, the sociological aspects of them? For instance, I don't think... Would anybody buy it? No, I would. Yeah, Jim, made, Jim made a full-time career out of it, too, you know, at his own expense for the most part. And when he could break even, he was happy. So yeah. I guess somebody had to be in that position, too. You know? <laughs> yeah, well, Jim had his real estate and a few other things, I guess. And I don't know if he had a pension or what. But, yeah, he, he did okay without um, having to make money off the saucer stuff. I mean, there's a very few people that do. I think probably Linda Howe does, Greer, Richard Dolan, because he works his butt off. Well, not these other people don't. Um, Nick Redfern. Nick, but he that's only a very small part of his writing. A lot of his writing is just a lot of stuff you never hear about. Um, writing for British publications and, you know, how-tos on, on about.com and just oh, stuff like that. Speaking of All British right. publications, I actually had a, a, an anecdote. Well, I had a whole bunch of anecdotes, but um, my friend Mick actually was old, old friends with uh, the man who publishes uh, 40 and Times. And I don't know if The one guys... that does it now? Yeah. Okay, because yeah, I'm thinking of the, the two guys that used to do it's it. Felix Den- no, no, no. There's Bob Ricard the, and Paul Seavey that, yeah. that, that founded it, but I'm talking about the publisher that actually puts the magazine Oh, okay, out. okay. Um, uh, he was buried on Felix's property, um, 
which is really cool because I'm like sitting here going for the longest time actually he was going to legally adopt me and I was going to move to England and the British government was fine with it it was the US government that that stopped it and we tried to figure out ways around it and I just finally gave up and it's like Screw this, but but um, I, I don't know if you guys have picked up a copy of Forty in Times lately, but um, not in years. I should, you know, you yeah, should. But well. but the thing is, it's like it's twelve ninety nine in the newsstands in the U.S. What? How often does it come yeah. out? It's four hundred dollars for a new issue. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, but, but but the thing is, my um, Bob Ricard personally asked my friend Steve. Uh, to expand on a piece he wrote for Lo-Fi on Eric Frank Russell, Bob Ricard, the guy that founded the magazine, yeah. and the, the editors like canned it, and he probably would have gotten paid like three hundred dollars maybe for the damn thing anyway. It's yeah, like, that's, they pay that's how much they pay. Yeah, and I only got one hundred and fifty dollars for that Bigfoot story, even though you took the pictures, I gave you credit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't even see that story. Oh, you didn't? Never saw it. Oh my. Okay. Those yeah, are such good pictures too. I want to see. Were- them. They were fantastic. Because we, went out, we went out with the guy that had, had uh, done the Bigfoot you know, news conference, and I took pictures of him next to his truck with the traces of Bigfoot no, snot on there and plaster That cast. was actually a, a really interesting story because like, they lived in Fresno, and like a year earlier, these two guys had claimed that they had a Bigfoot corpse, and that was a big hoax. And ironically enough, these guys that actually may have had tangible evidence, and I haven't followed up on it, um, Basically, what happened was um, a group of these paranormal researchers um, went to a spot that the local Indian guys had told Native American guys. Local Native American Whatever. guys had said, "Go up into the mountains and go to this spot, and you're going to see Sierras in, in the Sierras, and you're going to see Sasquatch." But it was snowing really badly, and so what they did was they left uh, one of the trucks, packed it with all the food, rolled up the windows pickup truck and left and waited for the snowstorm to subside which took like a day and they got back and the roads that they were taking up to the truck all the trees had been ripped from its their roots and strewn a couple of trees were across the road big few. ones yeah yeah very yeah yeah well, all I mean. but they couldn't drive over and move without like three or four guys or whatever wow. Wow. Right, but they but they got to the truck and there were all these smudges on the on the winch on the windows and they, they examined them and and uh, they actually re- took the the windows off and tried uh, they wanted to prove that the DNA was actually Bigfoot DNA and not like a puma or bear or, a bear. or something. Yeah, and I yeah, I never followed up on that actually. I don't think anything happened with it because otherwise you those people would been crowing their heads off and yeah. saying, "Look, here is evidence." Well, yeah, yeah, and remember like I haven't followed up on that other Bigfoot DNA research that was going on that was like so controversial uh, in Texas. I think this lab was studying like 300 samples of hair yeah. that had been gathered and it was a big deal and very controversial and the poor lady was just somebody that did this did this for a living and she's like i wish i'd never taken this on because yeah. we think we found bigfoot you know and yeah. i don't want you found to... something that's humanoid but not human right, and right, has right. you know but i don't 99 of the genome of the human whatever i don't i don't watch any of those uh Pablini paranormal shows and i know there was what monster quests monster quests and yeah. bigfoot something or other there's your second siren for yeah. the there, is, there is ding but but uh, now, I, now I'm going to have to go and look into that again. And your third one. You see, you could have it as an ongoing stick. It's a it is already. 
should take. Actually, what we should do is have a, like a pool at the beginning of the show. How many sirens will be on Radio Mysterio? <laughs> yeah, right. If you can rock it or RV it, you can you can win a prize. <laughs> so I had I actually came with notes of like things to discuss, but I forgot how this radio show is run, and uh, it's not run. <laughs> it's not run. <laughs> but now I don't know where to start from. Actually, no. But um, I think like Tim and I were have just, a comeback. Yeah. I think so too. We we did one on um, on radio a few years ago on Robert Larson's show in uh, in Irvine on KUCI. Mm. We had a radio kook out. No, but Tim and I were discussing earlier, sort of like the death of old school ufology, and and now I'm eating peanuts. So yes, I brought I brought in uh, uh, snacky items. Sorry, Tim, we can't send them through the phone. But, yeah, I saw, speaking of, I saw, I guess, like one of the last old-timers, at least in my mind, Stan Friedman at uh, Dragon Con a couple of months ago doing his uh, doing his thing, man, you know, causing Watergate, noisy negativists. <laughs> the um, noisy negativists. <laughs> huh. uh, no, oh, there's a band. No, but actually, I, I, I pulled up my um, an article I wrote about uh, how... Like, there, there's a golden era. I mean, there truly was a golden era of ufology. And, uh, like, I personally was very close to John Keel. And in this in this article, like, I kind of lamented the fact that, like, the lifestyle that he was allowed to leave because of, because of the times will never be replicated unless something amazing happens. Because it's like, wow, so you'd go to Egypt, you'd tell X your story yeah. to your editor at one of the 20 pulp magazines that were out weekly. You'd get sent a check, get sent on to the next place. And it's like, you know, I personally, like, I find it very sad that that, that will probably never come back unless somebody has a real great idea because like I don't know about you guys but I don't watch any of those damn paranormal shows or the, the UFO I shows I mean you know you yeah, turn them on and you're falling asleep there's not a lot of uh, market there for yeah I watch you know, five I, minutes I think about like zines you know zines are probably the closest uh, you know if you think about like the late 90s kind of zine scene it's probably the closest you get to that where people yeah. at least write stuff and it'd be somewhat coherent and have a tone to it and, you know but but the zine scene did, wouldn't be able to pay your way around the world to write about yeah, weird yeah, stuff. Yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah, he, re- he really harped on that the few times oh. that I talked to him. Just like you can't do that anymore. We can't. Yeah. There's no none of these like men's magazines like Saga and Argosy oh, right. and all that. that right, weekly. I, I mean, they were weekly. They came out weekly, wow. and they needed content. They did, yeah, and, you know. And and uh, I'd like to send myself back in time and use a male pseudonym and uh, write for write for all of those things. And now I don't have a very articulate point to make. But how can we figure uh, out? It is I, never do. Though, I mean, you think about it. People don't really. And I talked to uh, what's the guy? I think it's Peter Davenport from the UFO Reporting Center yeah. several months back. And Up in Seattle or wherever. Thought about doing some field investigation stuff, and and you know he he basically said, uh, you know, of course ninety nine percent of it's nothing, and then there's so very few good reports these days. Either people upload something to YouTube or they don't bother. You know, I, I think was the long and the short of it. You know, yes. there's not really a lot of margin for guys to go out, and, you know, really check stuff out these days. At least that was the feeling I got from what he was saying. Of course, maybe it's always been that way, and, and you know, they just figured it out, but, you know, yeah, well, they get so, so many reports, but so few of them or anything worth investigating, and, you know, when they do, it's, you know, it's a couple per state, probably per year, I think, yeah. if I recall right. You know. 
Well, things are so communication is so different than it used to be. Things are a lot more immediate than they used to oh. be, and I don't think it supports that kind of a giant top heavy or whatever, just big heavy uh, organization that's very um, that, that has a huge amount of inertia. What what it yeah. would support is a lot of small organizations locally. Um, just putting up a website and sharing information, maybe sub rosa or maybe t- completely open across the internet. I think it's a lot more um, logical than the the old model of a, like a giant MUFON or something. But you just said you said some, something about the difference in communications, and this is something that I was thinking about recently because I've had a lot of uh, experience with it. I've been lamenting for a long time. You know, there everybody's got cell phones. It's like you literally could spend a week. Uh, like using email and texting to take care of all your business, all your personal communications, never leave the house. And I find this to be a really bad thing because I, I personally am not a real social person anyway. And so um, I, I disagree with that. But oh, wow. Well, you know, <laughs> no, but um, um but, uh, you know, it's like I hate having a cell phone because it's not connected to electricity. It really pisses me off. It's not like grounded into something real, but it's kind of a, a necessity, and I don't Twitter and do any of that crap. But what I've noticed recently um, with me personally, like a lot of crazy synchronicity, I mean, I always have that, <laughs> but the last few days... Especially, um, I would literally be thinking about somebody, and I'd get a text message from them or an email from them, like within within minutes, like and very specifically about what Whatever I was thinking. thinking. About. Yeah. You know, and and you know that's maybe that's you know, because I'm, you're a you're one of those sensitives oh. that. Uh, <laughs> no, but well, I, you are. You you were hooked in in a way that I, other people I know aren't. I'm certainly not. Yes, and, I've and you can't you can't control it. Uh, some people sort of can, but I think you. You realize once in a while that some of that stuff comes bubbling up and you're like, oh, shit, you know? Well, I always know that I'm on the right path because I have a lot of... A lot of signs and wonders, you know, synchronistic (laughs) events and, like, weird symbolism and, and, like, only I would... Like notice this stuff, and that makes me really happy. But yeah. but the thing with the, like this instantaneous like people getting in touch with me about exactly what I was you know I'm going to text them about or send them an email about. Yeah. Um, you you can see and you can see a day into the future. Yeah, that would be or a that few would, minutes or an hour. Uh, that'd be great because yeah, but you can't control it. Yeah, right, right, right. I know that's the problem. But but I I wonder if there is you can affect it. You can just see it. Well, okay, so it, become, it happens. They they okay they, now they have proven the evolution like in human human DNA. I didn't read the story yet, but it's like okay, there is actual hard evidence for evolution. Yay, that's fantastic. But I wonder if that includes. Like a leap in brain activity or like the spirit or whatever combination of having interacted so much more closely with people and pre- other people in previous generations where you see people every day, you know, you, you know, it's yeah. you have a mailman, you, you know, you've got all this stuff. You, act, you actually have to it's go a, to it's stores. An, it's an unhook from time flow thing. I'm yeah. sure that's well, what you have it to is. Go, you know, you have to go to stores. You have to interact with, all. I mean, people every day. It's like I literally like I spent an, a week in my house, did everything, did not talk to a soul except my 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 uh, landlord friend, Ed. <laughs> but um. But I wonder if, because there's been such a drastic change in the way people communicate with each other, that somehow there's some concentration of force or something where, and maybe this is connected to this evolutionary, like, 
step ahead that we've taken or that's been proven um, that people are going to start being more telepathic or more people are going to start like focusing that energy where it, like okay if I'm talking to you I'm talking to you but if I'm focusing it on this person I'm seeing this person I'm seeing this person in my mind that I'm sending this message to all that stuff and it's like this concentrated it's like this concentrated energy and I don't know if that I personally don't think this all sounds crazy because it's been happening to me like really really well, it, it, that your model may be close to what's happening, or your model may be your perception of what's happening at the end result. You know what I right, mean? Right, right, right. My, my idea is that you, I just told you, I think you, you can see something that's going to happen in the next few minutes or hours or whatever. I, Somehow. Me personally? Or yeah. like I'm going through a little phase of that? No, you, you've been doing it off and on since I've known you. Then I'd make a great test subject for someone. <laughs> I guess so. But you can't try. I think if you start trying, you screw it up. There's very few people, I think, that actually try well, and harness that. No, I actually, I, I've, I've um, been dealing with a friend of mine pretty extensively um, lately. And only by text. Uh, only by text mostly because um, he doesn't like the sound of his voice. And I actually was going <laughs> to start trying this experiment because we've been going back and forth. And it's like literally he said he sent he, he texted me something about Adam Parfrey, right? And uh, just as I was thinking, he he was somebody that I needed to to call. Like literally, it's like I really got oh that guy a phone call. I owe this guy a phone call. And out of nowhere, like we're talking about Anton Levey and the Leveys and how crappy of a parent Zena was to Stanton. <laughs> And um, and then he just goes, oh, by the way, is Adam still in touch with them? I was like, oh, you're talking about Parfrey. Like, why are you talking about Parfrey? And like, I mean, you got some feral house books, I guess. It's odd. I mean, that's just like one example of even just like in the thread of this conversation that I've been having with this person entirely by text. I actually am going to try to send him. It's going to sound silly, but I'm going to try to send him a picture in my head and see if he can get it. Like, you know, just just on for your experiment. Pardon? Do an on-air experiment. Do oh, it that, now and see if they get it. Right. Yeah, I'll go up to know. I'll go up to uh, Center for Inquiry West and uh, go fuck with the Randyites. Who actually? <laughs> oh my God! I went to the amazing Randy convention with Randyites who knew. Oh my God! Did you see that picture of me with Pendulette? By the way, no. Uh, oh my God! Okay. Ben, it, yeah. Oh my God! No, no, no! I I wrote this article about uh, James Randy that was one hundred percent true. Had nothing to do with pedophilia. Just you know, it's like okay, yeah. He he was in his, wrote an astrology column for a paper in Canada. He was a, a psychic. He had a he had a long John Nebel style radio show himself. Yes. All that stuff. Well, he was a, he was a co host on Nebel for a while. Oh, was he really? Yeah. Oh, wow. But, uh, but like, I think he reached a point where he realized he could make more money flipping the coin. And that's, uh, he's a very angry little man and he's very petty. And I wrote this article when I lived in Las Vegas and I had to go to this event, um, this heavy metal awards event. And, uh, Pendulette was actually the, dressed as the Pope and he was the host. And I had a name badge, like, like a huge name badge, and I had to wear it on my chest. And uh, I had just written this article, and I had heard that he had threatened to punch me if he ever met me. So I had to spend the whole night wandering around trying to duck out in front of Pendulette because I really thought he was going to punch me. So, long oh, story yeah, short, worships right now. Pardon? Uh, I can't. See, I can't. I can't. Um, anyway, um, so I was like, we've got the Center for Inquiry West here in Los Angeles, which is a branch of like the Randy, Randy Foundation. They actually do the the. 
that paranormal challenge every so often. They do like two or three a year, and uh, they've permitted me to attend, although I just jogged my own memory there. But um, so I made, I, I've got a friend that was doing movie series for them, and I, I, and I ended up making friends with these arch skeptics and actually drove with them to Las Vegas for the Randy convention. And um, I uh, didn't attend most of it, of course, because those people are so self-satisfied, it's disgusting. Uh, but I'd much I got, rather hang out with believers. Yeah, but I they're got, more fun. I got to take a picture with freaking Pendulette, and he had no idea who I was, and I just like I, I have this most awkward look on my face because I was like, yes, because that. You're afraid he's gonna punch you. Yeah. Oh my my gosh, I was I was that was like a dream fulfilled. <laughs> anyway, so I guess I guess we're almost done. Yes, we've got well. We've got uh, less than 10 minutes here, and uh, Tim has hardly gotten to say anything. Is there something that you wanted to bring up that we, ca- that we kept talking over you for uh, there, uh, Tim? Yeah, honestly, not specifically. I wanted to see what was – I wanted to get a pulse of what the, the interest of people like us uh, and the UFO world is right now or the, the whole era scene and – I mean, to me, it sounds like at least we're still kind of in this nostalgic phase where because there's not a lot of... I think I was listening to the valet or somebody earlier say they haven't gotten a, a report of a hard trace case evidence in like seven years or something incredible. You know, it was, like, yeah. there's nothing really going on where people want to go out and look at dirt samples of something glowing in the ground anymore. You know, it, well, that should all be looked at. The nature of people not reporting stuff or if less stuff seems to be happening, but... But but at the same time, there's been a huge resurgence of interest in these subjects, you know, and and that's the one thing that's been good about all these paranormal crap TV shows and the TV shows, and I never watch them, but there, I think I think that's really stoked the average person's interest maybe yeah. a little. But then at the same time, it's like whenever I've had a straight job, like an office job or something like that. Word always gets out that like I'm the weird girl that's into all this stuff, and invariably you're not a weird girl. No, uh, but um, invariably like the employees will like some of them will sheepishly kind of come to my desk and like say, "Oh, I hear you're into this thing. I had this thing I can't explain. I've never told anybody." And honestly, uh, maybe I should just go have another straight job because that was kind of fun. But but uh, but anyway, um, you know, like in terms of the interest of the average person in this stuff, it's like I mean the numbers are always really high with like the Roper polls and stuff like that. It's like okay, you know, we've got okay, seventy five percent of the American public doesn't believe the story about nine eleven is true, but like when it comes to you know aliens and whatnot, um, those those figures are really high also. And um, but but those people generally, I, I think there's a mistake with believe in and interest in. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but it's 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 amazing how many people have actually had uh, an, an experience themselves. Where you know, I mean, I, I would I would gather that the percentage of the American public is actually really high in that regard. That has had at least one thing that they can't explain happen to them, but they would never tell anybody else about because of their religious background, their their job, their wife. That sort of thing, and so that gives me hope. You know what happens? That um, kind of goes back to what you were saying, Greg, about uh, cases that people wouldn't tell you about behind or not behind closed doors at conferences. You know, people not reporting certain kinds of stuff. Yeah, Um, which I was thinking about earlier, talking to the South area. I I think it was 
Michael Sorge or somebody who went through actually went through all their files and, and you know over 30 years of citing reports tried to add up how many they said they had involving like any kind of psychic effects or any kind of weird the other kind of paranormal attachment. I guess yeah. you use it, right? which should be part of and, the questionnaire. And and according to Swords, at least he said there were like three out of you know how you know it was a, a minuscule number. Whereas I seriously you know, doubt else, that. Obviously, your number is going to be huge. But do you think that's the difference in the people reporting or the people doing the investigating? Or I think it's people doing the investigating because it. Well, maybe it's just a belief system of mine. But I, a lot of the stuff that happens, uh, sightings, um, strange things, paranormal events. I think that. In a lot more cases than people want to admit, people have after effects of this on their personality, on their lives, on whatever you want to call psychic functioning. Um, uh, and, and, and basic Andrew things. Andrew told us a good one about a Bigfoot sighting after a, which you probably heard some variant of. You know, people are seeing big feet, Bigfoots after after UFO sightings oh, like yeah. a month later, kind of yeah. like NYD follow ups or something. You know. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that connection. That's like the Bigfoot UFO sighting connection. Because <laughs> someone please explain it to me. Yeah, it's a. There's a. Someday I would like to have Stan Gordon on and talk about some of this stuff because he's he's not prejudiced against it at all. He's he right. sees that there's a bigger picture here and that there's a continuum of um, of all this weirdness. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's like the very essence of of. <laughs> That's the very essence of Fordiana in that all, all things are connected. It's like all phenomena, I think, is connected to some degree. You know, it's uh, like, like I really want to, well, I don't really, really want to believe that, but I really, I've personally had experience with that, um, and and it's kind of interesting. Microphone. Oh, it's kind of interesting. But um, but if they're all separate too, it doesn't really matter. But um, I think you're the nexus in, in, in a lot of those things. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not being nasty or rude or funny or anything. I'm, I'm totally serious about it. I, I have a I have, oh. a I have a button that I got um, when I was like 17, and it says, "The things that have made me charming have also made me unemployable," <laughs> and I still have it. <laughs> I'd, I'd like that not to be true, but um, yeah, somehow somehow it will make sense of all of this. And there's the last siren of the night, I hope. Yeah, we're going to start up. Uh, uh, Bob is here for uh, at the show, which is coming up next. Bob, we were going to start a uh, a betting pool from now on on each show. You come in and say, how many sirens are going to go by during the show? <laughs> how many do you get? Like three, four, five? Three. Yeah. But you're playing music, too, so it, you, you can time it to maybe right. not be I during. Have, I have let some things go double rather than right. talking over the sirens. Yeah, so it, it's it's people have actually written into the show and say, "Where are the sirens? Was this a real show?" <laughs> that's not you're, that's not even you, is it? Um, so we should probably wind it down here. Um, Roddy Mysterioso has had uh, two wonderful guests tonight: Skylar Alphagren and Tim Brigham, and we will have you on again soon. And thanks to both of you for being on. Do you have a special request? I was going to play "I Love Trash" by Oscar the Grouch, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of take that, that personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or do you have something on your phone you want to plug no, in? No, I don't. I seriously, I'm such a luddite. Like I use my phone like like an iPod badly because if you play videos on it, um, they often stop in the middle, and it's really frustrating. I don't even know enough to go into the manual to download the songs into the phone. So thanks so much, Tim. And um, let's talk before you're on the show again. All right. Thanks, Greg. All right. Skyler. Okay. Uh, stay tuned for At the Show with Bob. Meanwhile, let me plug into uh, 
my uh, remote unit here. So, Ready Mysterio will be back next week, and I don't know who with. Uh, I do plan to be here. Sorry, the last couple weeks have been very busy. Last week was a, a baseball game, I'm sorry. And the week before that, I thought I was going for my pilot's license, which turned out to be yesterday. Anyway. So, uh, thanks for listening. See you next week, or talk to you next week, or grok you next week. God, I hate that word. And, uh, I don't. <laughs> That's Heinlein. I know it's Heinlein, but it was like co-opted by the hippie thing. But it's not used by anybody anymore. That's true. So that yeah. makes it even extra okay. cool. All right. So look at it that way. Uh, Miles Lewis uses that word, which actually brings it back up in my estimation. Well, I do, too. Okay. Phyllis well, then ben- I'll start Phyllis- using it. Phyllis Benjamin used to. Yeah? I got it from her. Oh, okay. I'm not going to add anything to that. Take a little walk to the edge of town and go across the track Where the viaduct looms like a bird of doom as a ship and crack where secrets lie in the border fires and the humming wires yeah man you know you're never coming back across the square past the bridge past the mills past the stacks on a gathering storm comes a tall handsome man in a dusty black coat with a red right hand
Red Rock. 